poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned into The Bohemian Beat, a place where words and melodies interact to create the theatre of the mind. I'm Riddy, your host from inside this theatre of sounds. And today, I dare you to taste your humanity through the heart of the poet, whose gift of words and melodies will cure your insanity. This is no easy road, for words have been hijacked, melodies denied. Can culture and language survive? I say listen, they are still here. Listen with your heart and you will hear. Starting with an excerpt from an interview with Marie Bonya, a Norwegian Sami musician who found her voice as she discovered her culture and language. Since prehistoric times, long before the concept of national borders existed, the Sami people of Arctic Europe lived and worked in an area that stretches over the regions now known as Norway, Sweden, Finland and the Russian Kola Peninsula. I started to write songs in 1980 uh, because I realised that I, I and many other Samis were like brainwashed to hate our own background, our own language, yeah, the heritage. Because I was 24, I had my first child and his father and me, we were both Samis, but we taught him Norwegian without even questioning, without thinking what we were doing. And then during the teacher's training college and also during the demonstrations around Alta, uh, the building of the Alta Kautkeino power plant, electric power plant, there was a lot in the media and that made me think and it gave me information and I learned more about my people's history. And then there was a, a volcano inside me of anger and rage that had to get out because I realized what had been done to my people. And so I started to make songs about this. And I remember I, I made lyrics to John Lennon's Working Class Hero about how it was for Sami children to, to come into the Norwegian school and learn that through 
not without, not that they were saying that your Sami heritage is bad, but by not having anything in our language and not saying anything, then this, this gave us a feeling that this is something inferior. One thing was the language, then the other thing was the old religion, and the yoik was a part of of the old shamanistic religion, and I later learned. But in my home, the yoik was totally banned because my parents, they choose, chose to take what the missionaries and priests learned them, and they chose to believe in this, that the yoik was from the devil. So they didn't, they learned their children that don't listen to the yoik, so this I grew up with. So when I was 20, I was like my parents. Whenever there was yoik on the radio, I switched it off, because this was terrible. This is from the devil. So when I started to realize and wake up from all this, there, was, there were just so many angry songs that had to get out.
an artist who discovered her voice from a need to express her loss and anger from her experience of being a despised minority. She speaks directly of discrimination and hate and ironically recommends ways of oppressing a minority, use Bible and booze and bayonet, use articles of law against ancient rights. The poets and troubadours are fighting back, reclaiming words, this creative force exploding forth. Words and its relationship to truth underpins this next poem that I will read by Palestinian-Australian poet and activist Samar Sabawi. Sabawi's family was displaced as a result of Israel's occupation of the Gaza Strip in 1967. Words, a poem by Samar Sabawi. I've been down this road before. Someone tries to teach me how to use words that can open doors, offer me tips and communication, instead of saying apartheid, try a system of segregation. Downplay the nabak and focus on occupation. And if you write a statement, make sure you start every paragraph with clear support for the two-state solution and don't forget to end it with a Hamas condemnation. Words. I stand dispossessed. No Congress behind me. No statesmen surround me. No lobby to breathe hellfire. No media eager to appease. No three-ring circus of intellectual jesters academic clowns and legal experts who truly do not see the big elephant in the tent. No legal acrobat stands for me on a thin robe of decency. No politicians juggle oppression and human rights on my behalf. No trips to boost carriers for MPs and their wives. No propaganda movies. No radio broadcasts. No myths, no lies, no Hasbrantes. No country, no army. Not even one leader to believe in. All I have are my words to tell my story, my voice to demand justice. But you tell me my language is too strong. You, my friend, my perfect, the skill of delusion, the talent of denial. You may express regret and lament and cry tears of indignation and insist you're on my side. But without naming the crime they commit, without naming ethnic cleansing and apartheid, your words ring hollow. So I will hold on to my words. I use them sparingly. I utter one word and a house is resurrected from memory on a hill in Palestine. I utter another and I'm in a courtyard under a sycamore tree and another and the scent of jasmine fills the air. Words lift me up from despair and take me home. Words disarm tyrants, bring down empires, and reveal all the oppressors wish to conceal humanity. I stand dispossessed of everything but my words. They are words of truth, of fire and steel. I use them deliberately, not to incite hatred, not to frighten, but to light up this darkness that tore me into 11 million pieces and scattered me across the earth. Words tell my story, Nakba, Naksa, forced exile, ethnic cleansing, apartheid. Words carefully chosen, purposely uttered. These are the words that lay the foundation of the language of liberation. Still
she's talked A smile of quiet dignity In that cage of shame Determination in your eyes I might never see again And I Let my heart In Palestine Quietly crying on the bus Staring into the distance as we drove back through the dust A spirit gently bending in this hope we trust Nothing on our skin makes them better than us And I, I let my heart in Palestine In the soft light of the dust As the setting sun reflected off the dome of the rock Crackling like a gunshot A distant call to prayer Someone praising God and saying we're still here And I Let my heart In Palestine It's full, our hopes met like thunder In our arms entwined Cradling the stories of those who live behind And I Let my heart And I Let my heart In Palestine In Palestine You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, produced at Bay FM in Byron Bay and heard nationally across the community radio network. We just heard Phil Monsieur with I Left My Heart in Palestine and before that a poem by Samar Sabawi called Words, a poem. And in the near future, the Bohemian Beat will be featuring Samasabawi. And I am really excited by this, as she is a true poet of action. A writer, political analyst, human rights advocate, commentator, author and playwright. Actively working towards a more just and better future. This next poet played a formidable role in the second wave of the Native American Renaissance, Joy Harjo a Native American poet, musician and author born in 1951. The following poem by Hajo is a narrative describing the poet's reaction to the real story of a woman whose message and dreams were silenced by an early violent death. The woman, Anime Picto Aquash, was a 30-year-old native activist from Nova Scotia murdered in 1975 by either the FBI or by senior members of the American Indian Movement. The poem is called For Anime Picto Aquash, whose spirit is present here and in the dappled stars. For we remember the story and must tell it again 
so we may all live. Watch the violet heads of crocuses erupt from the stiff earth after dying for a season. As I have watched my own dark head appear each morning after entering the next world to come back to this amazed. It is the way in the natural world. To understand the place the ghost dancers named after the heartbreaking destruction. Anime, everything and nothing changes. You are the shimmering young woman who found her voice when you were warned to be silent or have your body cut away from you like an elegant. You are the one whose spirit is present in the dappled stars. They prance and lope like colored horses who stay with us through the streets of these steely cities. And I have seen them nuzzling the frozen bodies of tattered drunks on the corner. This morning, when the last star is dimming and the buses grind toward the middle of the city, I know it is 10 years since they buried you. The second time in Lakota, a language that could free you. I heard about it in Oklahoma or New Mexico, how the wind howled and pulled everything down with a righteous anger. It was the women who told me, and we understood wordlessly the right meaning of your murder. just begun to perceive the amazed world that 
ghost dancers into crazily, beautifully. Indian legislation's on the desk of a do-right congressman. Now he don't know much about the issue, so he picks up the phone and he asks advice of the senator out in Indian country. Darling of the energy companies who are ripping off what's left of the reservations. Huh. I learned a safety rule. I don't know who to thank. Don't stand between the reservation and the corporate bank. They'll send in federal tanks. It isn't nice, but it's reality. Bury my heart.
was Buffy St. Marie with Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. The title refers to the book by D. Brown, a history of Native Americans in the American West in the late 19th century, spanning a period of roughly 30 years. The book describes how the Native Americans were effectively rounded up across the West and either penned in ever-shrinking reservations or slaughtered by the government. Wounded Knee, a village on a reservation in South Dakota, was the location of the last major confrontation between the US Army and American Indians. The event is known formally as the Wounded Knee Massacre, as more than 150 largely unarmed Sioux men, women and children were killed that day. The event supposedly marked the end of an age and the end of a culture. Black Elk, a medicine man, said, I quote, I did not know then how much was ended. When I look back now from this high hill of my old age, I can still see the butchered women and children lying heaped and scattered all along the crooked gulch, as plain as when I saw them with eyes young. And I can see that something else died there in the bloody mud and was buried in the blizzard. A people's dream died there. It was a beautiful dream. The nation's hoop is broken and shattered. There is no centre any longer, and the sacred tree is dead. But the conflict never ended. In 1973, about 200 supporters of the American Indian movement seized and occupied the town of Wounded Knee. The grassroots protest followed the failure of their effort to impeach the elected tribal president, whom they accused of corruption and abuse of opponents. They also protested the United States government's failure to fulfil treaties with Indian peoples and demanding the reopening of treaty negotiations. After 71 days, the siege at Wounded Knee came to an end, with the government making nearly 1,200 arrests. But this would only mark the beginning of what was known as the Reign of Terror instigated by the FBI. Original sovereign, singer-songwriter Carrie Ann Cox visited Wounded Knee when she was in America some years ago. She shares her experience. I was on an ensemble um, tour called Upstart Aussies with um, white Australians and original Australians coming together. To, um, to heal and, um, and acknowledge the past of our history and also to move forward together in oneness. And that was our shared vision that we bought stories of the stolen generation and everything um, from both sides to America. And we, um, we did about 30 shows from east to west of America and um, in the middle of our tour we had um, a weekend in South Dakota which we stayed at the um, at the lodge there and um, and there was a bus um, going to Wounded Knee because we weren't that far from the community there the reservation and um, so I jumped on it I said oh, I'm I'm going on this bus I'd like to really understand the people and what happened here and the impact because this is my story too and I'm just in a different place living my story again you know and uh, when we had arrived at Wounded Knee it was very neglected community people were struggling um, malnourished 
they were when we had stopped there we had a rush of people just coming on the bus and just begging for money and we had so many offers of tour guide because that's the only way they're surviving in that reality and um yeah we got one tour guide to pretty much basically bring us through the history of what happened back then and where we are now when we went even to the shops like Biggie Bay same kind and run down and um not really good nutritious food there <laughs> you know so the health and the deterioration of the people there was same kind like my mob you know on that level but one thing is that they were in desolate areas there was a difference between um home in the Kimberley compared to um South Dakota which is very desolate and a hard country to really grow stuff um unless you really get some really good experts to really work in with the land to bring permaculture and and um things to grow there but um so it was hard base big bay broomway you can grow it's fertile you got healing live living water that comes from the beautiful ancient aquifers you have untouched coastline uh with plenty of food fresh food every day and you're getting all that nutrition in and thank goodness for that because government hasn't dealt with um third world conditions within our communities which is a reflection of wounded knee with the government of America still to the stay in you know in the 21st century and um pretty much we're lucky that we we can that our mob can still go and get a feed you know when the land is still functioning and abundant but you can see the pressures of um of just a tourism boom and the impact of western living monoculture too within our own people and and what we've done to put pressure on the country as well and and that the children forget about the law and culture and the practices of um within the land and the sea so when they lose all that then you know you, you grab too much food or you know you do overkill and we don't we want to restore that because it creates a balance and it's respecting um all things on earth on that level so for me the the, the i think one thing i'm concerned about but we can deal with that is the fact that um if this gas plant did come to a reality you would pretty much see the whole of the peninsula just desolated the people would grow hungry uh, violence and everything would start to escalate and I've already start to just bring order back in with this you know with your basic essential services being met you know and still we have the food that keeps gives us function and spirit and life but to have all that eradicated your food your access to that and the destruction of the beautiful fertile land to create food rather than getting it shipped in is going to be really hard for the people to live there and people are going to die people are going to fall sick quicker and there'll be eradication of how the earth's being eradicated in a country will be eradicated too and will die and as my dad said we'll just be like cattle right now not respected considered and just pushed here there and everywhere like we nothing
not satisfied with half the world, we sailed into the sun to find our golden promised land where time had not begun. We sowed the seeds of prophecy to justify our needs and sanctified our newfound land with ornamental beads. The natives here are primitive. They have no written words. They dance around their campfires and dress their heads like birds. We've tried to make them civilized. We gave them Christian names. But they just live like buffalo and curse the day we came. He said, bury my heart on the high plains, so my spirit can be free. Scatter my ashes on the battlefield, at a place called Wounded Knee. Your mission here is quiet now You've taken everything Your iron horse has given way To birds that cannot sing Kill our hunting grounds and lay our land to waste to feed your hungry war machine so foolish in your haste. But this is our home, we stand and fight. The savage has no voice, the powder rivers run. Blood, no greater sacrifice. Nothing lasts for very long, but eternity itself. The time we had before you came, this would be my wealth. And he said, bury my heart on the high. So my spirit can be free Scatter my ashes on the battlefield At a place called Wounded
This is the Bohemian Beat, and that was Vic Soul with Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. And before that, Carrie Ann Cox, Noongbao woman from the Kimberley region of Western Australia, singer-songwriter, law woman, and one of the key spokesperson for the sovereignty movement, sharing her experiences at Wounded Knee. And let's return to that interview. You think the battle's ended because that was one of the biggest battles there. The battle hasn't ended. <laughs> The battle's continuing because if it ended, there'd be functioning people and a functionable community. <laughs> but it's not, you know. So that's just an that's illusion. That's an that's a lie, you know. Mm. On that level, it's like Mabo, native title. We think we're, you know, we've got justice within that stand within native title, but all we got was just tricked again by the lies of um, the native title process where pretty much when you sign, native title is pretty much just there to to, to uh, re-establish possession of the whole continent to the Crown. And it was fabrication of Mabo's council to trick him into that. The unjust process of the very fact is that, you know what happened in the history, we got taken off our lands, we got moved around, we are part of the stolen generation. A lot of our people got shot and died of disease and, you know, mixed up. And then the first process of native title to even get it, you know, to get your land back, to get a determination in the, high, in the, in the courts, is that you have to prove your ongoing connection to country and culture. So how can that be just and right? It's unfair. It's a bad protest. We don't need no title from you because we are the title of this land and the land is us, and no paper can establish that. Well, we go back to the beginning, eh, and where the laws were founded from, in which we were given the earth from. We were given the earth by the divine and by our mother earth. That is our sovereign right as human beings. And this is our home, and it's our only home. And we all have a right to stand up for our home. So we've got a home and our children still got a home. It was given direct by the law of God, if you want to call it, because they got the Bible. And it was through the Bible that the law was created, with this, which is the Westminster system. And they complexed it. But if we go back into simple thing, we are direct descendants of the divine. From that, we are sovereign within our right as shareholders of the earth. And we have a right to have an equal slice of the pie, of the pie because we never had true access to our trust of the commonwealth of all our people. This is all our resources. The earth is here for us to share those resources from that divine spirit within us, which we feel, and the matter of our body of the earth in material formation. It is our divine right to be sovereign and to know that we all have a place and nobody can't take that away because I belong to the human tribe, not all these tribalism, which is an illusion. There's only one tribe and that's the human tribe. Let's eradicate racism because the only race is the human race. It's quite simple like that. So let us all become original again and reclaim our sovereignty.
To be sovereign is to, is to state your supreme authority because it was given directly by the divine and our mother. Let's get rid of our egos now, people. What is at stake is us as a species and whether we can evolve if times get really bad. We might be able to move through that because mother will reconfigure itself. It'll take a while for it to, to recreate itself into paradise again, but we might be able to move through it when she does it. So there are many species who, don't, who are not here anymore. We see that within scientific information and that show that they've had to evolve. And this is what our basic essential need, water and food, and country is being taken from us. If you take those three things away, then we nothing. And the fact that they're going into the sacred waters, what, in 78 hours? If we don't have water, we die. Food, you can wait maybe a week or so, and then you eventually die. And that's the bottom line, is that they're taking all of that and they're poisoning it. So how are we meant to, how are we meant to grow food on barren lands and lands that have become desolated because of the greed? And how are we going to drink fresh water when our waters are being poisoned? And the very essence of that water is, is that water continue to be poisoned. Then everything dies that we need in order to survive as a species. Bushtaka is good for your health, Munga is sunny, Gamin Garam, vitamin C, and Barneyal is good for eggs. Join us now or have a feed. Yummy, yummy, bush taka. Eat them every day. Oh, one you stamina. Jalgamalgar is good for coals. Grajat full of proteins. Ramagnarka vegetables. Oh, eat them, eat them, bush taka. Join us now or have a feed. Yummy, yummy, bush taka. Eat them every day, oh, bushtakar is good for your health. Mungar is sunny, bushtakar is good for your health. Mungar is sunny, bushtakar is good for your health. Mungar is sunny, bushtakar is good for your health. Mungar is sunny, so eat them, eat them, bushtakar. Join us now, or have a feed. Yummy, yummy, bush tucker. Eat em every day. Oh, bush tucker is good for your health. Mungar is honey. Bush tucker is good for your health. Mungar is honey. Bush tucker is good for your health. Mungar is honey. Bush tucker is good for your health. You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, brought to you by the Community Radio Network.
That was Carrie Ann Cox with Bush Tucker. And before that, Carrie Ann sharing her experience of visiting Wounded Knee and her deep concerns for the devastation to her own country in the Kimberley under threat of massive industrialization. The world's biggest gas plant to be built and one of the last great wilderness regions on this planet. This next piece is from the DVD Old Country, New Country, in which Bardi man Albert Wigan tells of the rugged and ancient beauty of the Kimberley. I am the river that flows through the open ocean, and the land is a great friend to me. I am the eagle that soars through the open sky, and I am the knowledge of all the trees. I owe my life to the lore of this land, for without it I am lost. But with all the culture from my dream time, it has finally come at a cost. This is a song and a story about my people and what it means to me. About how we see ourselves on this land, if it's the desert or the sea. If it's all the rugged ranges and all the valleys near and far, one thinks for sure, and I'm proud to say, this country is who we are.
was Byami, our creator by Gangi Guri. And before that, a piece from the DVD Old Country, New Country, The Journey of a Raft by Gaia Media, which tells the story of Bardi elder Roy Wigan passing on to his nephew Albert the traditional Aboriginal craft of raft making. That is all we have time for today. I hope you've enjoyed the show and make sure you tune in again next week for more poetry and music. And we will end with a piece from Four Medicines, The Secrets of Native American Balanced Living, called The Creator. Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready. When the Creator began creating the universe, the earth was asked if it was willing to give life. When the earth agreed, the Creator took seeds and began planting the garden. Giving each seed instructions on how it will work with all of creation. This was when Creator's Garden was made. The earth gives new life each spring. The medicine is watched by the Anishinaabe. Knowing when to start picking the medicine and giving thanks to Mother Earth for giving birth to new life of the medicines. There are different medicines for the different sicknesses of the The Mother Earth already has various types of medicines. All the Anishinaabe have to do is pick it.
There's a wild melody There's a million harmonies There's a note with everyone There's a big Think we know what we need now Think we got it figured out Right inside of everyone There's a big medicine Think we know what we need now Think we got it figured out Right inside of everyone There's a big medicine